Matthew chapter 2, if you have your Bibles with you. Matthew chapter 2. Uh, when I was pastoring in uh, Lithuania, we had a, uh, a team come from England. And um, we, uh, we were there and, and uh, they were helping us outreach and such. And at one point, the team from England began to, I saw a couple of the girls, they're talking and they're giggling. And, uh, and uh, we came up to them and they said, what, you know, what, what's so funny? What, what struck your fancy here? And they said, oh, well, you know, in, in London, or in, in, they weren't in London, they were in uh, another city, I can't, which, uh, Luton. They, they said, oh, you know, we've, we, we have a girl from Lithuania in our church. And she doesn't have any fashion sense. And we thought it was her. We just thought she, you know, she would mix stripes and plaids. She would just, you know, uh, it just it wasn't there. And she goes, we come to Lithuania and we realize it's not just her. It's all the Lithuanians. Now, I don't, I, I spent 11 years in Lithuania. What I didn't understand is, is that they're lacking the fashion gene. And I think this is a gene. I think this is genetic. I really do. I, you know, they, they, like I had a song leader show up one time. He had a striped shirt, a striped suit, and a striped tie. But the problem is none of them matched. I was in the airport one time and there was a woman and she had a plaid jacket a plaid shirt and plaid skirt, but they weren't the same plaids. And it was like, I'm sorry, you got to speak louder because your suit is screaming at me right now and I can't hear you over your clothes. And so people would have that. And, and it was very interesting as it was the whole country. It was what they were. Now, what it really was is they had been locked away Soviet times. They didn't have access to colors. It was very bland. Uh, they, the joke uh, uh, among uh, some of the Lithuanians was in Soviet times we had money and nothing in the stores. Now that it's, we're uh, free, we have no money and lots of stuff in the stores. And so they didn't have a lot of money to have a lot of fashion. And so they just didn't have this sense of fashion. It was linked to where they are. This has since begun to change. Uh, they begun to, they've begun to have uh, much more of a fashion sense uh, and a coordination of colors and different things like that. But what's interesting in the text we're going to read in Mar- Matthew chapter 2 is that Jesus has three locations before his ministry. As you read about Jesus, there are three places he is associated with. And all of those are going to be so that he can relate to you and I. And this is a fascinating part. We're going to kind of work our way through Matthew chapter 2 and look at these different places that Jesus has that had impact on his life and changed some of his uh, or influenced some of who he was able to touch and relate to people. Matthew chapter 2, let's just begin in verse 4. We'll read on through verse 6. We will look on 
at different other places in this chapter so you can stay there in your Bibles. In verse 4, he called a meeting of the leaders, this is Herod, and the priests and the religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judah, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. And so this comes out of uh, Micah chapter 5. Micah is one of the 12 minor prophets. Minor versus major only really has to do with the length of their books, not with the importance of their prophecies. And so he, this comes out of Micah chapter 5, but O Bethlehem, you are only small among the villages and the people of Judah, yet a ruler whose origins uh, are distant past will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will abandon their enemies, and the women will labor in birth, and the least of the uh, fellow countrymen will return from exile from their own land. And it goes on to say that he will stand and lead the flock uh, with the Lord's strength uh, in the majesty of the Lord God. When the people are undisturbed, he will be highly honored among the world. And so this is the prophecy of Jesus Christ that he is going to be associated with Bethlehem. Now Bethlehem is also called the city of David. It was the mark that David had taken and made this uh, a residence of himself. And so this was called the city of David. Jerusalem he would take later and make that. And Bethlehem was part of or a suburb or what would be like Henrietta to Rochester. A suburb of, it was about, uh, if you drive from Jerusalem uh, to Bethlehem, it takes about five minutes without the border check between the Palestinian and the Jewish area. It's five minutes, just a couple miles down the road. It was considered part of this area. And it tells us that he would be called David, uh, the great king, uh, is associated with this city. And this would be associated with leadership that would come. He was born there. Now, we know that Joseph was actually from Nazareth, that he actually grew up in Nazareth. He, this is where he, and we're going to look at Nazareth at the end. But now he, he, he comes, he's living in Nazareth. This is where he's working. But at the time of the census, he has to go back to the city of his family, he goes to Bethlehem. And we read in both Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 1, the lineage of Jesus. Now, you'll see at one point they separate. It's right after David, Solomon is in one lineage, and then Nathan is in another lineage. And that's because one of them is Mary's lineage in Luke chapter 3. And one of them is Joseph's. But Joseph goes back for this census. This is the city of the king. He's of the lineage of David. He comes from Solomon. He comes from the king's family. He is to go back there for the census. Jesus was associated with royalty and ruling. 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To many, he just, to many just want him to be Savior. They don't want him to be Lord. They don't want him to be King. Kings have a way of talking into your life that you don't like because they can set rules that you, you got to follow. Well, what do you mean I got to do that? You know, we live in a democracy. If you don't like the way Biden, if you didn't like the way Trump uh, ran, if you don't like the way, uh, you know, Hochul ran, you have a right to stand up and say, I don't like the way they do that. I'm mad at them. And I don't you know. Yeah, America. Kings, you don't do that. Kings, you did that. You lose your head. They'd take your head. They'd call it treason. Cut your head off. You read about it in the Bible. You read about it in history. Yet, Isaiah tells us, for a child is born to us, and this will be on a lot of Christmas cards this year, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, and a son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counsel, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestors, David, for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of, he- the Lord of heaven's armies will make it happen. This is the promise. He's going to be called, uh, the, the government is going to be on his shoulders. He's going to have these titles. This is who he is. He's of the lineage of David. He is born into that royalty. He understands ruling. He understands who he is. You have to see Jesus as king. If you look at the gifts, the wise men would bring. They would bring three gifts. The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. That was very symbolic of who Jesus was. Gold was given to a king. Frankincense was used in priestly worship, and myrrh was used as the spice in his death for the body. They had a full understanding and a full revelation of who Jesus was. But the gold was for the kingly part of him. Titus and Timothy, rather, Paul the apostle writes, and he says, I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus. Who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate that you obey his commandments without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you until now our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. That doesn't mean they won't try. But anyway. For the time will come that Christ will be revealed from heaven and bless only the almighty God. The king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He alone will never die. He lives in the light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen, nor will see. All honor and power to him be forever. Amen. We're serving not just an idea. Or as they would say in Boston, an idea. Not a concept. This is not a philosophy. Well, I like the Christian view. You know, this again, I've mentioned before, all religions, they have their common threads and pick it all, right? They have their prophet and their teacher. You live by the philosophy of that religion. I'm not living for the philosophy of Christ. I'm living for Christ. To be a disciple means you want to become like him. To serve a king 
The prophecies are very clear over and over and over that he's going to be born in Bethlehem and he's going to be of royal family. Luke, I'm sorry, John chapter 2, uh, John chapter 7. It's Luke chapter 2, we'll get to in a moment. In John chapter 7, they're at the feast. And there's a lot of controversy about Jesus. They're whispering about him. They're talking about him. They're uh, they're uh, making, uh, you know, uh, is he? No one wants to talk publicly of him because of the comp- uh, because of the Pharisees. And it says, for the scripture says clearly that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. They knew he was going to be of this lineage, that he was going to be royal. And that he's born in Bethlehem. This is a mark uh, that will be upon his life. Luke chapter 2, verse 4. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judah, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth of Galilee. He's royal. He's king. This is the first thing we can see in the places that are associated with him before his ministry begins. And this is the beginning. Are you serving a concept? Or are you serving Christ himself? Because if it's just a concept, if it's just an idea, ideas change. Pleasing someone personally and living to an ideal two different things when you get married it's not the ideal of marriage that you're going to want to live to it's the person you're married to I can tell you that generally speaking women like chocolate but not all women do I can generally tell you things that men would like, women would like, but you've got to discover that for yourself. I've just seen too many people who get married who are in love with the idea of marriage and not necessarily who they're married to. Can you serve Christ because of the ideal of Christianity? Or who he is. Bethlehem tells us he's king of kings. He's lord of lords. That's who he is. As we're in Christmas time, it's good to remember, yes, and thank God for the baby in the manger. But that baby was going to grow up and going to die for our sins, rise from the dead and take his proper seat in heaven. Let's think secondly of where he came from then. He then moved and went to Egypt. It tells us in Matthew chapter 2 that when Herod finds out that Jesus would have been born in Bethlehem, and this is linked to the star, and this is probably that the prophets were traveling, these wise men or these Magi were traveling uh, uh, for two years. 
after seeing the star, understanding the prophecies, and, and moving to find the king, that he orders his army to go down and kill all the young boys under two years old. Now, we got a number of young boys here that are under two years old. That'd be tragic. To save Jesus, God visits Joseph in a dream. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. And after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up and flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. And that night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and marry his mother and they will go and stay until Herod's death. This is fulfilled what the Lord had spoken. I have called my son out of Egypt. This is actually in Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. The child, uh, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And I called my son out of Egypt. Now, we don't know exactly how long Jesus was there, where some Bible scholars believe it could have been four years. Others believe it could have been even up to seven years. We don't know. But these are some of the most formative years in a child's life. I mentioned in the baby dedication that you will learn, and we did learn I think it's, uh, I have the statistics in my other notes, but I, I want to say it's uh, uh, 70 to 80% of the words we'll ever use we learn by the time we're five years old. That's fascinating to me. These were the formative years. This is where Jesus was in those years. Egypt in, this t- in that time, as in all the times of the Bible, is a picture of a place of the world. It is the systems of the world. It is the world's glory. At the time of the children of Israel, Egypt would have been the greatest superpower on the planet. At that time, Egypt was always a picture there of sin and of indulgence, of decadence, and all the good, all the glory, all the sin, all the pleasure that the world would have to offer. In Hebrews chapter 11, it speaks of Moses. It said when Moses, by faith Moses, when he grew up, Refused to be called the son, a Pharaoh's, a Pharaoh's daughter, son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose rather to share the oppression of the people of God instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to, uh, than the, uh, than to own the treasures of Egypt. He was looking ahead towards the great reward. It was by faith that Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept on going because he kept his eye on the one who is invisible. This would have been the place where there was no synagogue. This was not, this was a hostile environment to the Jews. They would have still been upset. It's amazing how prejudiced and how resentment against another nation can last for for long, long, long periods of time. 
I told you I pastored in two nations that have been oppressed, who have big neighbors that have beat up upon them. In Ireland and in Lithuania. And how the resentment, even though the troops aren't there today, the dangers and the fears of them coming back and trying to come back. The resentment towards other nations. Belgium is still kind of resented by Holland because they broke away. A few of the southern provinces broke away and formed a a nation or a pact with the northern provinces of France. Said, we don't want any part of you. And still to this day, even though that was hundreds of years ago, the jokes they make when they want to talk about a moron or someone not smart, they talk about someone from Belgium. It's woven into their culture. In Egypt, there would have been a resentment towards the Hebrews and the Jews. There probably would not have been any kind of religious worship other than his family. Maybe small groups of Jews would get together. But if you think about the prophecy and the warning that the angel gave to Joseph, he probably would have played low-key. He probably would have gone to Egypt and kept his mouth shut. Jesus would have been raised and seen the pagan society. He would have seen the immorality and all the debauchery that would have gone on in the world. He would have been raised in that society when there was sin going on around him all the time. This tells us two things. One, Jesus can relate to us in a hostile place. You know, our world is not always kind towards the gospel can be very hostile towards our belief system to our Lord and Savior. They don't mind nice people. But there's people who are, there's just the atmosphere that sometimes, you know, there's pressures of sin everywhere. There's statements that are made in schools and in society that if you're not sinning, you there must be something strange about you. You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't you cheat on your spouse. You know, do you ever have any fun? I mean, there'll be statements like that that make us feel like, oh, maybe we're weak, maybe we're 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 aliens. And the Bible does call us aliens. But this tells us that God understands living in a hostile society. He understands being in that atmosphere day in and day out. One thing if you just live in a gated community, one of the things that made Hudson Taylor very radical as a missionary... And change the English would go to places like China. They would go to places like Africa. But they would just bring their English culture with them. They would have tea at four. They would live in gated communities. They would wear English clothes, no matter what the temperature was outside. And they would not relate. Hudson said, no, I'm going to wear Chinese clothes. I'm going to put in and put on a 
Chinese understanding. I'm going to get out of the gated community. And the China Inland Missions, despite communism, still has impact there today. One of our missionaries met an old woman who, when she was a child, had heard Hudson Taylor preach and had a Bible that his society had given out back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that she still had to this day. Hebrews 4 tells us that we have a high priest who understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and we will receive mercy when we find, and we will find grace to help when we need it the most. Jesus can relate because, not because of just the temptations in the wilderness. Man, he went through 40 days. Uh, you know, wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be great if your whole temptation of sin only lasted 40 days? Like 40 days of your life, those are the big ones. And if you make it through that, man, you're, you're golden after that. He's growing up in this society. It is around him all the time. He can relate to that. He can relate to what you and I go through. He understands it because he's seen it. He's been there. He lived in it. But what is interesting is the Bible says this is the place he was called out of. John chapter 17 in his prayer in the garden gives us the great understanding as he's talking to the Father. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one, for they do not belong to this world any more than I do. So when he's in Egypt, he is in full understanding, full understanding of having to relate to a society that is hostile. And he says, you can come out of that without you not leave it. We're not going to go live in monasteries and hide away in the mountains and all that. But you don't have to let that be your influence. Kept from the evil one. Kept from the wicked plans of Satan. You can be called out of that. After Herod dies in Matthew 2, 22 and 23, it says, But when he had learned, this is Joseph, there was a new, re, new ruler in Judea, was Herod's son, Archelaus. He was afraid to go there. So after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So he went to his family, and he lived in a town called Nazareth. And this fulfilled the prophecy that he will be called a Nazarene. Now, you can read in the Bible there was a vow called a Nazarene vow. Bible scholars aren't 100% sure whether that had anything to do with the city. And so I'm going to leave that alone. But Nazareth was a lifestyle, was absolutely in the middle of Nowheresville. Nazareth was a little town. Nazareth was not the glory, the spotlight, the, 
the place that was known for anything. And yet this is the place that Jesus associates himself more than any other place. When they come for him in the garden, they're looking for Jesus. Not of Bethlehem. Not of Egypt. They're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Joseph, of course, is from that hometown. It was a place that was not known for anything. John chapter 6 tells us that Nicodemus, he's standing before the council. And as he's talking to the council and uh, he's kind of defending Jesus, he's kind of not. It's kind of this... He's, he's kind of caught between the two worlds there, and he's trying to work this through, but he, he eventually makes some very right decisions. But as he's doing this, as he's working it through, he makes a statement, well, you know what, we, we maybe should listen to this guy. And they say, <clears throat> excuse me, don't you understand that no good thing has come out of Nazareth? Name one prophet that's come out of that region of Galilee. They're like, hmm. He shuts down. He's not ready to make the stand for Jesus yet. When Philip went to look for Nathaniel in John chapter 1, verses 45 and 46, Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, We've found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Can any good thing come out of there? He understands what it is to be small and feel insignificant. To have the feeling of no power and no influence. He didn't claim to be from Bethlehem. That would have been greatness. He chose to relate to the people who feel like they're nobodies. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The weak things of the world to confound the strong. The things that are not, he has called as they are, so that no flesh would glory in his presence. The church even took on that name. Acts chapter 24, verse 5, he says, We have found the troublemaker, this is speaking of the Apostle Paul, who is constantly stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is the ringleader of the cult known as the Nazareans. The nothings. The zeros, the losers. Because that's what Nazareth was known for. And Jesus chooses the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to relate to broken humanity that others would say have no value. It's very 
There's a man, he's dead now. Some of you may know his name. You'd know it. A lot of older people my age would know it. His name was John Lennon. John Lennon was in a little music group that was called the Beatles. They were, they were kind of... They were kind of popular for a while. John Lennon was actually married, and he had met a girl named Yoko Ono and began an affair with her. And Yoko Ono got pregnant in 1969. And in 1969, she had actually approached John saying, I want to abort this child, terminate the pregnancy. And John was actually ecstatic. He, she, he was very excited. He said, no, this is good. This is great. This gives me the final excuse to leave his wife. And he, he left his first wife for Yoko. And they were very excited to have this child. And they went through and some different things. But their drug use as such had created such a problem, she miscarried the child. And later... On their first album together, they actually have a song that is the heartbeat, the recorded heartbeat of the baby. They made this song, and they have it there. I began to think, at first, Yoko thought this child is a hindrance, worthless. But after she lost it, all of a sudden, this now changed everything. They had... Uh, you know, they record this, put it on an album. It's very emotional. It's a, it, you know, it wasn't a big hit, I'll tell you that. But uh, they did put it on there. Because now it meant something to her. You know, the world may say you're useless. Others may have said you have no value. But Jesus can relate. And he thinks you're a great value. That the King of Kings... And the Lord of Lords would step off his throne and not go to the palaces, although he had every right to. He went to Nowheresville so he could relate to people from Nowheresville. See, the very interesting thing of these three places, it really, really does reveal who the Lord is and how he relates to us. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you're serving the concept of Christianity, you're missing it. If Christianity is just an idealism to you, you've missed it. It's about the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Not the teachings of Jesus. It's Jesus himself. His teachings matter, but it's Jesus himself. It's not just his teachings. Whom do you serve? Who is it that you need in your life? Second, he relates to sin. He's lived in the world. He grew up in the midst of wickedness and paganism and no religion and a society that has rejected God. And he chose to relate to the no ones. That's the God I serve. And in Matthew chapter 2, this is before his ministry ever starts. This is, it's Matthew chapter 3, he's going to be baptized. 
John's going to be on the scene now, his cousin, going to baptize him, and then Jesus is going to start his ministry. But these things formed him. They say in real estate, the top three rules are location, location, and location. That will determine so much of the value of any place. Those top three, location, location, location. We can establish who Jesus was by location, Bethlehem, location, Israel, uh, Egypt, location, Nazareth. That's the God who we serve. If you don't know Jesus that way, you can. If you're just serving the ideal of Christianity, how do you measure that? Your prayer life. If it's an ideal, you don't have to talk to the one who's it's about. If it's about Jesus, you talk to him. Your righteousness. Your tongue. Your thoughts. What you read, what you look at. Because it's not an ideal. It's a person who can relate to you where you're at. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Maybe you're come this evening, you're not right with God. Maybe you thought Christianity is just an ideal, just a philosophy, just another ism. There's some who believe in this ism and that ism, and you believe in Christianity, and, you know, it's just a teaching, a doctrine. And though the teachings and doctrines are important, I understand that. What's more important is who you serve. Bob Dylan, for a short time, became a Christian. He's another old songwriter. He wrote a song called, You Gotta Serve Somebody, and he said, It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you gotta serve somebody. Not just an idealism, not just an idea, a concept, a philosophy, but a relationship with the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He can relate to you. So, oh, you don't know what I've done. He's seen it all. He lived in Egypt. He was well there, tempted as always, yet he didn't sin. He knew no sin. But he can relate to you and I who do face sin, temptation. He can relate to the people who feel broken and unnoticed. What good thing can come out of Nazareth? Maybe the God of the universe? He knows where you are. And he can relate. He's not just in his ivory tower, just reach it. He knows who you are and what you're going through. He himself has seen it. He's grown up in it. He's raised in it. He's experienced it. And he's reaching out to you tonight, calling you out of Egypt, calling you to himself. And you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way and you want to receive him and be born again. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand. Say, pray for me. I'm not right with God. I'm not saved. I'm not a Christian. I need Jesus Christ in my heart. Very quickly, slip up your hand. Pray for me. 
I want to get my heart right with God. I want to know Jesus. I want to invite him in. I want to receive his sacrifice. I want to know his love. Slip up your hand very quickly. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you serve an idealism. The concept of Christianity. The problem with that is it will play out in your personal life over and over and over and over. Because ideals change. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. The Bible is very clear about that. But when you're serving a person, a king of kings who can relate to you, it changes your Christianity and you've lost the plot. You need to get your heart right. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand. Pray for me. I'm backslidden. I'm away from God. Changing the call then to Christians. You know, it's fascinating to see this in the scripture. This is where Jesus came from. Royalty. We can relate to the world and the sin that we live in and among. And can relate to being and feeling forgotten. In the middle of nowheresville. That's the Jesus whom I serve. And I thank God for that. Let's all stand. We're going to open up these altars, allow people to find a place to pray, worship his name. When you, the author of my
sing him tonight. Father, we love you. Oh, thank God, thank God.